You know, not every culture is individualistic and centered around self, as our Western culture is. A couple of months ago, I, um, I read a story about an anthropologist who proposed a, a game to the kids of an African tribe, and he put a, a basket full of fruit near a tree, and he told the kids that whoever got there first could have the basket full of fruit. So he lined the kids up, and as he said, go, they did a very unwestern thing. All of the kids instinctively held hands and ran together to the tree. And once they got to the tree, they sat down. Let's pop that photo up. And they enjoyed the treats together. And when he asked them why they had run like that together, as one could have had all the fruits for himself, they simply replied, how can one of us be happy if all the other ones are sad? How can one of us be happy if all of the others are sad? You know, when I look at that image and when I read those words, I realised that we have there a really powerful image of the church. In our Western world, we tend to look up to the the Lone Ranger kind of people. Our heroes are the strong and self-sufficient ones. Those who, who walk through life alone, doing their own thing their own way, not needing anyone. Deep within our Western psyche, they are our heroes. And unfortunately, the Western church has followed suit. We, we hear Jesus' call to take up our cross and follow him as individuals, and we make a decision to do that regardless of what our, our family and friends say or think about that. And in a, in a way, that is a good and proper response, but we need to be very careful here. As Francis Chan writes, while every individual needs to obey Jesus' call to follow, we cannot follow Jesus as individuals. The proper context for every disciple maker is the church. It is impossible to make disciples aside from the church of Jesus Christ. I think Francis Chan is spot on here. We are called to be disciples who make disciples. And you cannot make genuine disciples aside from the church. They may be followers... They may be followers of something or someone, but they won't be authentic followers of Jesus Christ. Have a look at it from this angle. The New Testament is full of commands. They're not just statements, they are commands to do this or that for one another. We're commanded to love one another. We're commanded to pray for one another. Another. We're commanded to encourage one another, etc. Now, how can we do what Jesus has commanded us to do, which is teach them to obey everything I have commanded, if we have no one to love, if we have no one to pray for, no one to encourage, because we've decided to follow Jesus in isolation? It is impossible to one another all by yourself. It's impossible to follow Jesus all by yourself. We cannot claim to follow Jesus and then neglect his church. The church that he created, 
the church he died for, the church he ultimately entrusted his mission to. Now today I want to talk about how we are called to live together as the church and the command to teach others to obey all that Jesus has commanded us is a lifelong, never getting to the end of kind of task which requires us to intentionally intertwine our lives with the Christians around about us, whether we like it or not. If we are disciples who are committed to making disciples, we will regularly join together with other believers, like we're doing today. We will help them overcome the sin which holds them back as they will help us overcome the sin which holds us back. And we will challenge them to grow into more effective disciple makers as they challenge us to do the same. Next week, we're going to focus on the call to reach out to our local community and ultimately to the rest of the world. And we're going to spend a little bit of time hearing from Sandy about their trip together overseas and we're going to look at some photos and all of that. And we're going to talk next week about what Jesus says about going out into all the world. But today, we're going to talk more about what it means to be the church here. And uh, sadly, many Christians make a commitment to Christ, but not to his church. Sadly, many Christians make a commitment to follow Jesus, but they don't make a commitment to his church. Let me say to you, from a biblical standpoint, that is a complete nonsense. When we serve the church... We literally serve the body of Christ. Have a careful look at what Paul wrote to the Ephesian Christians. This is Ephesians 1 verse 22. He said, And God placed all things under his, this is Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him Lord of everything. Why? For the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. Do do you see how important the church is? Do you see how you, you cannot be committed to Christ without being committed to his church? And do you see how the fullness of Christ is actually found here in this ragtag gathering of very ordinary people who are and who are continuing to be formed into the most wonderful creation of all, the church, the body of Christ. When we serve the church, we literally serve the body of Christ. A couple of chapters later, Paul said, this is Ephesians 3 verse 10, he says, his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The church is now, believe it or not, the vehicle, the the channel through which God has chosen to reveal his his manifold, his multifaceted, all-encompassing wisdom to the angelic realm. The Apostle Peter tells us that angels long to understand the gospel message. 
And they are so much more able to glorify God now that they understand what God is doing in the world. And that that understanding actually came to angels through us, through the church. Friends, this is no small thing. This church thing we are part of is very important. This really is the main game. This really is where God does his work. This is what God has decided to do. And you realise that I'm not speaking about the building when I say that. I'm I'm talking about us, this gathering of believers who meet in his name. And then when talking about marriage, Paul draws a direct parallel with Christ's love for the church. Now, we normally read this passage and think about marriage. But I want us to read this passage today and think about what it says about the church in the context of marriage. Ephesians 5 verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feed and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Let me just ask you this morning. Is your commitment to Christ reflected in your commitment to his church. I mean, really, ask yourself this question. Is your commitment to Jesus reflected in your commitment to this body of believers in this local setting? Or do you love Jesus, but deep down you're just not so keen on his church? I love Jesus, but I just wish I didn't have to go and meet with those people. You know, I really hate it when people trash talk the church. I really do. When people say terrible things about this church or that church, I really hate that. And it's not just because I'm a pastor either. It's because deep down I know how hurt and angry I get if someone trash-talks my wife. Men, do you know what I'm talking about? I dare you to trash-talk my wife in front of me. My kids know. Yeah, I can honestly say Brendan spoke harshly to his mother once. Once. How old are you, Brendan? (laughs) <laughs> 23 <laughs> you know when we trash talk the church we trash talk the bride of Christ but that is no small thing it really, it really isn't and there are times where I feel as though people are kind of lifting the skirt of the church that's the bride of Christ very careful about the way we talk about the church. 
And it's more than just saying nasty things about the church because we can belittle the church by treating her as something which she is not. And I think that is probably a bigger issue than even the trash talking where we actually take God's church and we make her something, we treat her as though she is something which she is not. That the church of Jesus Christ is not a social club. I looked up all the clubs in our local area. There's clubs to do everything. There really is. There, are a, there is a plethora of clubs all over the country. The Church of Jesus Christ is not a social club and her purpose is not to meet your needs. Though that is often cited when someone leaves a particular church. This church no longer meets my needs, they say. And then they leave because we haven't quite been able to get the right mix of music and morning tea and pastoral visits or telephone calls and parking. This is not Club Gorakan. The church is not this building and it's certainly not an option for you to sign, you know, tick yes or no when you're signing that eternal life insurance policy. The church really is life and death for a dying world. The church is God's strategy for reaching our world. And what we do Inside the church really matters and the way we do it matters just as much. God really does care about the way we, this funny group of people who choose to meet here on Sundays, love each other. And he cares about the way we pursue or together choose not to pursue his mission in the world. See, the church is a group of redeemed people across the most amazing range of ages. We have a one-week-old baby in our midst and we have a dear 96-year-old brother. There's no clubs out there that have that demographic. We're not a club. This is a family. It's a family. And the church is a group of redeemed people, the family of God, who live and serve together in such a way that both their lives and their communities are transformed in the process of them just living together. See, what matters to God is the way you interact with the people he has chosen to place before you, in front of you, behind you, next to you. You know, I often say we are not here by accident. I really believe that God has brought each, of, each and every one of us here to this God-ordained holy place. And by that I'm not saying this building. I mean God's Gorakin and Canwell and Tukli. This place in this holy time. You see, God has mixed us together. Don't go looking for a perfect church. You won't find it. You see, 
each of us here at Lakes, it's like we are we're a special herb or a spice that goes into the mix. You know, remember Colonel Sanders had his 11 secret herbs and spices? I did a bit of research. I was reading about it. And it's amazing. He, he used to cook this amazing chicken and he decided to take it on the road. And mum, back home, mixed up the herbs and spices and she used to send it out in barrels to him on the road. And that's why it was so secret. No one knew it except mum. You see, there's this unique mix of ingredients and you're part of that. You're part of the secret herbs and spices that God has brought together for Lakes Baptist Church in 2014. Let me say this really clearly. If you're not connected with other Christians, serving and being served, challenging and being challenged, then you're not living as the Lord Jesus desires you to live. And the church is not functioning as he desires it to function. See, God's wisdom is that every believer, literally every Christ follower, would be part of a gathering of believers who, who come together regularly in a, in a kind of rhythmic habit for mission, worship, evangelism, fellowship and discipleship. And we come together under the servant leadership of pastors who shepherd the church for the glory of God. Now, despite the fact that the Bible clearly places a priority on believers being fully committed to a local congregation, many Christians try to live out their walk with Jesus apart from this serious personal commitment to a local church. And the reason for this are, you know, really very many. And as I said earlier, our culture has trained us to be self-sufficient, self-reliant and wary of authority. And we can find that the kind of interdependence and even submission and accountability which the Bible speaks of is actually offensive to us and it's threatening. And as a result, many Christians hop from one church to another and not just once. I mean, this goes on for their whole life. They, they keep looking for the perfect church that will tick all the boxes. And many have been heard in the past and they no longer trust church leaders or, or congregations generally. And others just don't see it as being all that important. I've got my Jesus. I love him and he loves me and that's all that matters. And look, he understands my special needs. And he understands that I'm different from other Christians. And look, he's okay with my special sins. We have this little arrangement, my Jesus and me. He understands. And that's why I don't need to be committed to any one church. Or, you know, I, I found too that, that people, it's almost subconsciously like they, they know that when I go to a church, I'll be a new person and there'll be all this attention that will be on me and people really wanting to make me feel welcome and that feels wonderful. But after a while, there are other new people and I'm just kind of one of the gang. But if I go to another church, then I'll be a new person again. And they go from one church to another and then when they've worked through all the churches in the local region, they come back knowing that, oh, you're back. Wonderful to see you back and it all starts again. 
Trouble is that when you've come back the eighth time, I struggle to remember whether you're gone or you're coming or you're going or... You know, the Bible says the local church is important. Really important. And God has entrusted local churches with godly leaders who teach us his word and care for our souls. Have a look at these challenging verses which speak about church leaders. In Hebrews 13, verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. And then Paul, writing to, the, to his young co-worker Timothy, says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, Do not muzzle the ox while he's treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder or pastor, that word there is interchangeable, unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. Just for a moment, I want you to think to yourself, hang on, is that Murray saying that or is that the Bible saying that? It says, those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. All I can say is, wow. Can you imagine if we actually did that? Can you imagine if every time someone entertained an accusation against an elder or pastor, that we dragged them up the front and rebuked them publicly? For those of you who have roast pasta over Sunday lunch, you'd be up here every week. You know, we'd have to have a special spot in the service, wouldn't we? You'd have worship songs, announcements, prayer, offering, and then the kids' slide would come up. Kids, make your way out. Bless you as you go. Okay, public shaming. Could all those who've made a false accusation about our leaders in the past week, uh, if you could come forward now, please, that would be great. Come on, we haven't all day. No, no, wait, one at a time, please. I know what it's like. Okay, I grew up in a church where roast pasta was served up in most households every week. And I know that because I used to go to lunch at all my friends' homes and my home. And I joined in like everyone else. See, roast pasta is the glue that held us together. It really was. It was our common contempt for the poor old church leaders. It made us feel good about ourselves. Them being so ungodly, so useless, so incompetent. Well, we were so godly, so competent and so together. And I now, with a few more years' experience, have one thing to say about that kind of behaviour. If your pastors are so incompetent, shame on you for not standing up and asking us to leave. I mean, honestly, shame on you. The church is important. 
If you're so sure that we shouldn't be leading the church, have the guts to publicly demand we step down. Maybe you're right. And we shouldn't be leading the church. Now, in case you're wondering to yourself, my goodness, what is happening? What is happening at lakes that I'm not aware of? Let me assure you, there's nothing happening at lakes that you're not aware of. Everything's okay. I am speaking generally here about church. But if I don't speak about this, I'm not preaching from the word of God. I'm jumping the hard bits. Do you agree? The church matters to God. It really does. This is a big deal. We should never treat it lightly. And you cannot treat your leaders poorly and have a healthy church. You can't. I mean, that's why Hebrews, that Hebrews passage says, obey them so that their work will be a joy. You know, I, I meet regularly with local pastors in our area and, and another group of pastors from all over the place. And very sadly, Louise and I often return from our groups saying, we are so blessed. We are so blessed at Lakes. And we are so, so sad for all these other churches. Because there are so many churches that are in utter turmoil because of this issue. Because congregations don't take this seriously. And one after another, there are just devastated pastors and their families. But worse than that, there are whole congregations of people who are the bride of Christ who spend decades being absolutely useless in their holy time and place because of conflict. So this matters. It really does. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. Because that would be of no advantage to it all. Nothing good comes from tearing churches and their leaders down. God has united us together to keep one another from sinning and to keep the flock together. We have a tendency to wander off. God knows this. And part of what we do in this weekly rhythm is we come together. And even when we don't feel like it, We do it because it calls others back to God. You see, we call one another back to the centre of what this is all about. Have a look at these two verses which teach these truths. It says in Galatians 6, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you know, like the net, the net captures them or they, they catch their foot. If someone is caught in a sin... You who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Then he says, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So I think sometimes we can think <coughs> that the burdens there is just, oh, when some, someone is unwell. <coughs> Excuse me. But sometimes the burden can be someone else's kind of propensity to to fall back into a certain sin. And we can become very judgmental of that person because they've fallen again. But the word of God is saying, no, no, gently restore them. That's what we do. We gently restore them back. And then we find Jesus saying, this is Matthew 18, 
And sometimes I just wish that we would do this better. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, Jesus says, don't leave it there. If your brother has something against you, you go to him and he still won't listen, don't leave it there. Because Jesus knows that conflict in his church will be kind of like rust, cancer, just will make its way through the body. If he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And then the third step, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Which I want to point out doesn't mean you completely shun him. It means you treat him as someone who's kind of outside the fellowship. And how do we treat people outside the fellowship? With great love and compassion. So God has commanded that we gather together regularly in local settings where we set aside time to hear from God's word, just like we're doing now. And then we hold one another accountable for living as God's word tells us to live. That makes sense to me. That sounds like a good way to live, doesn't it? It says in Hebrews 10, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And he says, let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Now, Hebrews is written in probably about 70 AD, so about 40 years or so after, after Jesus. And he thinks, it's pretty early. And they're saying, don't give up meeting together, as some are, are in the habit of doing. This is the first century. We've got to make sure we don't give up this meeting together habit. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Who knows when Jesus is returning again? You know, I can tell you with some accuracy, I know exactly when Jesus is returning again. It's one week closer than it was last Sunday. (laughs) That's true, isn't it? He says, do it even with greater intensity the more you see the day approaching. This, this meeting of Christ followers is important and all the more important as the day of Christ's return approaches. You know, in addition to this, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We, we remember what the Lord has done for us, what binds us together and what he will do for us in the future. We, we, we baptise new believers We bring them into the fellowship. And as we witness their baptisms, we remind ourselves again by being there what Jesus, this following Jesus thing is all about. You see, when someone is baptised, they go down in the water. And what they're really saying by that action is, my old life is fit to be dead and buried. And as I rise up out of the water, I'm rising up to new life following Jesus 
as a slave of Christ Jesus, where all of my energy, all of my focus is in serving him. And then after gathering together, we, we scatter to care, to care for believers and we share the gospel with those who don't yet know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. See, clearly from Scripture, being a disciple and making disciples involves committing your life to a local church, a church where you are joined together with other believers under godly servant leadership to grow in the likeness of Christ and to express the love of Christ to the world around you. A little earlier, I asked you a challenging question. And I want to ask you it again, and I would like us to do some work with God in a sense. Is your commitment to Christ reflected in your commitment to his church? Could I ask that we bow our heads now? I want you to consider that question. And you might like to say, Holy Spirit, would you tell me, would you reveal to me the answer to that question? What is the Lord saying to you right now about that question? Is the Holy Spirit challenging you about changing your attitude and your commitment to his church. And if that is the case, what will that change look like in your life from this day forward? A man is the sum of his habits. What are the habits? What are the habits that are part of your life that need to change? Is your commitment to Christ reflected in your commitment to his church? Lord Jesus, we... We confess that there are lots of times when this is not the case. And we asked, ask now that you would forgive us. Give us a new vision for what it means to be part of a local gathering of believers. Lord, I pray you would open our eyes to see the people sitting next to us, in front of us, behind us, truly as brothers and sisters in Christ who we will spend eternity with. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to see some members as our, like our parents in Christ, our aunties and uncles in you, others as younger sisters, little brothers. And bind us together, Lord, I pray, in that knowledge. And open up opportunities for us to serve your church better. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.